Good morning. You can look in your pew Bible, it's page 714, we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. I'm reading out of the NIV version, which is in the pew Bible, slightly different in the bulletin. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. You would take your uh, bulletin over to where it says sermon, okay, in the upper right-hand section there near the last page. It says, from word to action, translating Mark's gospel, and that's been our theme. It really talking about taking the word of God but putting it into action But I want us to read that together because it takes on a special meaning for you and me this morning. Read that with me from word to action, translating Mark's gospel. Will will you humor me with that? Ready? From word to action, translating Mark's gospel. And you'll see why it takes on special meaning. Chris Chapman was trying to get his mother-in-law into the car so he could drive her to the doctor. She had an appointment. But he could not get her away from a neighbor. She was outside talking to a neighbor across the fence there. And he gets into the car. He honks the horn. She waves at him and keeps talking. He gets out of the car, calls to her. She waves, keeps talking to this neighbor. Finally, he walks over to her and takes her by the arm. And he said, we've got to go. You're going to be late. He says, okay. But even as he was pulling her away, she was still talking to the neighbor across the fence who was just kind of nodding her head, and finally they got into the car, and she said, Chris, I'm so sorry, but I didn't know what to do. That woman woman would not stop listening to me. (laughs) Well, sometimes we do a lot more talking than we do listening, and my simple question for you and me this morning is this. Are you listening to Jesus? Not so much about something related to yourself, but related to someone or some people whom you and I need to be reaching this day. And it's fitting that we talk about 
this event that David just read about at this point chronologically as we journey through Lent together in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has turned his face toward Jerusalem and he's heading down to what he knows is going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem with the suffering and indeed the cross. Now, my question again, are we listening to him? And are we listening to him as he is about to face the cross for you and me? In fact, let's simplify it. Were the disciples listening? If you look at Mark 8, verse 27, which David started reading, they are in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And let me just show you where that is uh, in this Bible map. The green part is uh, all of Israel of Jesus' day. They are way up here in the northern hinterlands of Israel in Caesarea Philippi. And that's the first time Jesus begins to talk about his suffering and death. I know we've talked about this before, but he's really pouring out his heart saying, you know, the Son of Man's going to suffer, he's going to die. After three days he will rise again. And as was read, uh, Peter reprimands him. He says, you're not going to die. You're going to be this earthly king that we all want you to be, and we're going to be your, your uh, chiefs of staff. And, and Jesus, it does not go over well, as you know. And, and Jesus says, you know, if, if you're going to say you lose your life, that's the way to get to saving your life. You know, what good does it do for you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? So he's saying you have to take up your cross and follow me. Get, get rid of yourself and think of others. So you go to Mark chapter 9, and Jesus and the disciples are traveling from Caesarea Philippi down here to Capernaum. And along the way, Jesus says it again, and you can tell he gets more graphic each time. Uh, He says the Son of Man's going uh, to be arrested, and he will be handed over to the authorities, and he will be tortured, and he will die, and then he will rise again. And when they get to Capernaum, he asks them, what were you all talking about back there when you all were not listening to me? And they all bowed their heads in shame probably because what? They were all arguing about what? Which one of them was the, does anybody know? The greatest. Are they concerned about Jesus at all? No. Who are they concerned about? Themselves. Okay. Well, maybe third time's a charm. So they've gone from Caesarea Philippi down here to Capernaum. You get to Mark chapter 10. They're getting very close to Jerusalem down here. And, and it's a striking, striking passage because you can tell Jesus is saying, listen to me. I mean, it's right there in the text. Let's go to the, next, uh, let's go to the verses uh, that show up next. Listen, he said, this is in Mark, they're getting close to Jerusalem. Listen, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. And then he gets even more graphic. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And in the very next breath, what happens? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, teacher, We would like for you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, "Uh, when you sit on your glorious throne, when you take over Israel and all the world, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one of us on your right, one of us on your left. Are they listening to Jesus? The question is, are you and I listening to Jesus? And I want to apply this to one justice issue that applies very much to Brookwood right now, in our station in life. A justice issue that you and I have the opportunity to begin to set right. Let me show you Dr. Douglas Moo. Dr. Doug Moo uh, was at Sanford just this past week delivering the Robbins Lectures, which our religion department sponsors. Doug is an amazing New Testament scholar from Wheaton University. He's the chair of the Committee on Biblical Translation. Uh, To translate that, what does that mean? 
Uh, Doug oversees the 15 scholars who are responsible for translating the NIV, the New International Version, which is the best-selling English translation now, and also keeping up to date with it if there are archaeological finds or changes in language that they've noticed that they need to do to fine-tune uh, the entire Bible in the English language. And, and he gave this talk about you know what it's like to translate from the original Hebrew and the original Greek into English. But the whole time I sat there, <laughs> I felt like God was trying to get my attention and getting me to listen, especially because of what we're talking about this morning. Because... At one point, he said there are over 450 English translations of the Bible. 450. Can you say that number with me? 450. Do you know how many translations there are for the Majera tribe? Zero. Is there one word translated into their heart language that has to do with the Word of God, that comes directly from the Word of God? No. Zero. There are 1,600 other languages like that where these people groups have no Bible translated into their own native tongue. The Majera people. 450 English translations. I think we've got enough. I think we're kind of spoiled. Majera people, zero. So are we listening to these people that God has called you and me to minister to? Are we hearing their cries? Because they are desperate cries whether or not they even realize that they need a word of God. Whether or not they need Jesus, we know that they do. So do we hear their cries? It really is a justice issue. You know, how can we sit idly by when there's this crying need for a Bible in their language? I kept thinking of Psalm 17 verse 1 this week where someone cries to God and I, I think of this being the Majera people. Oh, Lord, hear my plea for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer, for it comes from honest lips. But then again, they don't even know what it means to pray to the one true holy God. Now, I want you to set aside all your own self-concerns right now. And and I want you to really listen to what you're about to see. Because if there's one thing I think Jesus would have you and me do at this point is to... to support this adoptive verse that we have right out here with these verses that you can give $25 to per verse to get a copy of the Gospel of Mark to the people in Majera in Cameroon. I want you to imagine the cries of the people. You're going to see a video here in a minute. And focus in on what they have to say about World A. Not World B, definitely not World C, but World A. Just listen to this. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of His return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population world C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into world C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, 
There's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel, but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions' money, going to World A, the least-reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? What are you going to do? What are we going to do? Do you hear the cries of the people in world A? Do you hear the cries of the people of Majera? 1%, 1%. Americans pay for more for Halloween costumes for their pets than money going to those people. And like the Majera, there are people who do not have access to any of 
the Word of God. Now, I'm going to close my sermon with another video. I stumbled upon this this week, and I love it because it has to do with translating into the Gospel of Mark. It's a man named Dick Rowe. Do we have a picture of Dick Rowe there? Dick, in 1956, just kind of showed up at a, a missions spot over on a Philippine island in a little town called Luzon, and in a vi- village that was a part of that town called Gigabot. Okay, so he goes over there, and he just kind of walks in, and the people say, why are you here? Why are you here? And he says, well, I, I want to learn your language, and I'd like to write it down and give you your own Bible in your own native language. And he started just living among these people, and, and for seven years he lived among them, learned their language, and after seven years he had to go back to raise more money so he could come back over to the uh, island of Luzon, and continue to minister to them. But he left them one thing before he went back to raise money for two years. He left them a translation, and I love this. He left them a translation of the gospel of, guess what, Mark. The gospel of Mark. Now, do you see this other guy in the picture? His name is Nard Pagayo. Uh, when he was 13 years old, he got hold of one of these translations. In fact, you'll see him holding it in a minute. And I just want you to see what that did to him and his life. A 13-year-old, did not know Jesus, picks up this gospel of Mark that Dick Rowe had translated into his heart language. And let's watch this. Now, by the way, you're going to see he's in an airplane hangar in front of an airplane because now, I'll let a little bit out of the bag, he's a missionary pilot. But I want you to listen to what happened to his life because he had access to a translated gospel of Mark. But this missionary was learning our language, and he continued learning our language, wrote our alphabet, and produced some books in the language. And it was awesome to go back to start first grade all over again because he had books available in our language in there. He wrote some primers, wrote our alphabet, and then gave the books to the teachers, and the teachers started teaching in a language. And so I loved school after that. So we used to bring in all kinds of exotic food and fruit to this missionary. And then one day he was sitting and, and telling us how powerful his God was. That his God has his son. Jesus is his name. He came down to earth from heaven and nailed to a cross. And then we looked at each other and we said, we thought your God is powerful. We thought he's more powerful than the headhunters, more powerful than the spirits. But what kind of a God is it that could not even protect his only son from being nailed on a cross? Why should we believe in a powerless God like that? We wanted a God who could protect us so that when we walk the trail, we would not have to be scared of the spirit world. But he is your God so powerless. We can't believe in a powerless God like that. And we questioned everything in there. But he continued working in our language. And you know, one day he started Bible translation work, and I'll never forget this book. This is the Gospel of Mark in my heart language in there. He gave me a copy of this book and forget my first time to spend Christmas Day, 1963. As I took this Gospel of Mark down below the village of Debagat, reading it for the very first time, the Word of God in this night. I was sitting on top of that big rock rock by the river bank, by the rapids, reading Not the Christmas story because it was Christmas, but reading about the Easter story, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 of this Gospel of Mark. And I started reading it, and all of a sudden, God removed the veil out of my eyes, and for the very first time, I could understand, I could visualize everything that was written in there. And one of the things that I remember was in chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples come out of this temple. And one of the disciples made a comment. He said, Master, look at the temple, look at the rocks, look at the homes. 
And this disciple was excited about what he was seeing on the outside. And the master said to him, you know, one of these days, not one of these rocks are going to be laid up on top of each other. It's just going to be dirt and rubble. And to me, it's a reminder for all the things that we own in this world. The material things that we own are just dirt and rubble. One day, they're just going to be gone. But the eternal things that we do for Jesus Christ, those are the things that last forever. That's why we do what we do in Bible translation work to make sure that the Word of God is given to people in the heart languages in there. We invest for the future because we know it's all eternal. I continued reading in there, and I come to the little picture of the Last Supper. You know, my picture of the Last Supper was you eat inside a hut, and there you sit in a circle, and there you squat on the floor, you eat with your fingers. That's my picture of the Last Supper. It's not like the picture we hang on the wall. You know, the picture we hang on the wall, you know what Jesus says on the picture. He says, hey, guys, come on this side of the table if you want your picture to be taken. But I continued reading, and all of a sudden, there was something in there that I couldn't understand. And I was reading my Bible here, my Gospel of Mark, as fast as I could. And pretty soon, there was something that was happening in there that I couldn't understand. And reading it more, you know, pretty soon, Jesus and his disciples were taken out of the, the garden in there where they were praying. And pretty soon, they were before Pilate. And pretty soon, Pilate scourged Jesus. And pretty soon, they took him before the soldiers. And pretty soon the soldiers were making a crown of thorn and they forced it on his head in agony and pain. They beat him up some more and caned him. And I understood the agony of thorns because in my village we have thorns all along. When they prick your skin, it's an excruciating pain. It hurts. And then they forced him to carry a wooden cross up the hill and they started nailing his hands and his feet. And there was a breaking point deep in my heart. I hated God to the guts. Why should I believe in you? I shook my fist across the river and shouted on top of my voice, I hate you, God, for who you are because you couldn't protect your only son. Why should I believe in a powerless God? I wanted a God who could protect me from the spirit world, but here you are so powerless. Why should I believe in you? And this gospel of Mark, I threw it down to the rocks with all my strength, and I shook my fist some more, and I said, in hatred to God, ranting at him, I said, I'll never believe in a powerless God like you. And I left my gospel down to the rocks and I started walking back to the village. And as I started walking towards the village in there, there was something that happened right there then. I said, God, the God of heaven and earth, reached into my heart and squeezed it and said, Nard, I did that for you. I love you that much. And for the very first time, I understood what grace was all about. There was no other argument. What else could I say? The God of heaven and earth said he loved me very much because he gave his only son to me. And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I became new. That's what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, everything becomes new. Man, I was new. That's what it says in Second Corinthians 5.17. Are you new today? Do you know Jesus in a personal way? Man, I went back and picked up my Gospel of Mark. And I said, let me see. I sat back on top of the rock. Let me see the end of the story. And I continued reading in there. And I found out the power of the resurrection. Jesus was nailed on the cross and he died. And they buried him in a tomb. And the third day he rose again from the grave. I said, nobody in Dibagat, nobody among the Isnaks has ever risen from the grave. Yet Jesus had risen from the grave. That's why I love to listen to Don Francisco when he sings the song, he's alive, he's alive, I've been forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide, he's alive. And you know Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And from there, I sat back on top of the rock and I said, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life. Isn't that powerful? 
all because he received a heart translation into his own heart language of the Word of God, and look at what it has done to his life. He now delivers Bibles for Wycliffe Bible translators. He speaks all over the world now. Why? Because a missionary cared enough to get him a copy of the Gospel of Mark. Your opportunity now is to help a whole other people group get the Word of God for the first time. What if someone could be impacted like that over in Cameroon because of our helping get the Gospel of Mark to those people? Listen to the difference you and I can make. Let's pray together. Lord, deliver us from ourselves. Help us to get beyond our own self-concerns to the point where we can reach out to people who are desperately in need of your holy word, which talks about your holy son, who stepped out of eternity and into our own broken, dark world, that we could have newness of life, Help us to get beyond ourselves this day, O God, to translate the gospel of Mark from word to action by getting his printed word and his spoken word to these people. May we commit to that this day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.